to Genesis 12, we find the call of Abram. We find that he is a key figure in world history. Abraham is the one who is the biblical example of faith in God. And we are the people of his choosing because God chose Abraham and all who have faith are considered children of Abraham. We turn now and we'll spend the next month looking at this and we'll continue looking at the life of Abraham in the spring. And you've already heard me call him Abraham. Even though when we look, you'll see his name is still Abram. He doesn't actually get his name changed until chapter 12, but whenever the New Testament refers to him, whether it's talking about chapter 12 or chapter 22, we use the name that will be changed to Abraham. So you will probably hear me most frequently call him Abraham this morning. But we turn to Genesis chapter 12. It's right at the beginning of your Bibles. So it's, you only have to turn to page 11 if you're using one of the Bibles that's provided for you. This is a key foundational story, a true history that the Bible gives us of God's call to Abram. Listen as I read Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So, Abram's, so Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. I invite you to bow your heads as I pray that God would speak to us through his word. Father in heaven, we come, many of us, with questions, with doubts, with frustrations as we hear your word. And so, Lord, meet us now as we listen to your word preached to us, good news announced to us. 
Lord, for those that, that come doubting the truthfulness of your word, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would convince them of the truth. You would give them faith to believe, to follow after Jesus Christ, our Savior. For those of us that consider ourselves followers of Christ, spiritual children of Abraham, Lord, make us obedient to your commands, faithful and trusting in your promises. Lord, let us see our sin and turn from it. Father in heaven, we come asking you to be at work in us as we listen to your word. We come praying in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Who is the most memorable person from the last century? The, you might think of some of the great leaders who have taken the world's stage, whether good or bad, the most memorable. You might think of the rich and the powerful, those titans of, of industry or technology that have changed the world. In a retrospective on the 20th century, the BBC says that there will be only one name remembered 10,000 years from now. One name from our era, only one man who will be remembered from the last century in 10,000 years. Neil Armstrong. Now, once you hear the name, the reason is obvious. Even if you don't agree with the reason, he is the first man to have stepped foot on the moon. And so I guess the BBC thinks that in 10,000 years we will be somewhere else. And so the, the only memory we will have of our time on earth is the man who was the first to leave the planet and step on another. He will be the only name that is remembered. Now, maybe you disagree with them. Maybe you haven't thought about Neil Armstrong in the years since his death. Maybe it's not something you think, and you might quibble and argue. But his name is clearly significant. But biblically, if we were to pick a name from the last 4,000 years of human history, if we were to create a list of who are the men's names who need to be on the list as those who were the most significant, well, to turn in the Old Testament, the name that you should put at the top of that list is Abraham, the man to whom we're introduced here in, in Genesis 12, the call of Abram, called by God, chosen by God, loved by God. He's an important man. He's claimed as the, the father of three of the world's major religions. He is the bearer of the promise. And in biblical terms, he is an example for us of faith. And so I, I want to look at this chapter, really with, with two simple headings, and so we're going to start with this one, Abraham's faith. The faith of Abraham, because we see it in, in verse 1 of chapter 12. The Lord commands Abraham, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. A command clearly given to this man. No, actually, if if we had taken time, we could have read the end of chapter 11 because that's where we first meet Abram. We're introduced to him because he is a descendant of Noah, which is obvious because everyone is technically a descendant of Noah. There was no one left except Noah, his sons, and the wives after the flood. But we're told in chapter 11 that, that Noah's son Shem is the great-great-great-great-grandfather of Abram. Abram was living in Ur, in southern Babylon, what we would today call Iraq. He left with his father and traveled to northern Babylon, to, to Haran. 
And now God gives a command to Abram. In chapter 12, verse 1, leave everything that gives you confidence, support, trust, and go. And worse, go to the land that I will show you. I mean, you might already be objecting that that's a terrible kind of command. If you're giving instructions to someone of where to go, you need more details than that. If you, if you gave me instructions to come meet you somewhere and that's all you said, that wouldn't be enough. Uh, if, if God were giving me the command, I would probably stop and object. God, could you write out the directions more clearly? Actually, I'd like a physical address so I can go on Google Maps, sort of check out the neighborhood before I arrive. I want to know what this place will be like. He gets no such instructions. Leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your father's household and go to the land I will show you. See, the only way you can go without clear directions is if you trust the person who is going with you. Go to the land I will show you. Otherwise, you'd want to print out the directions and have them downloaded on your phone so that you would make it there safely, unless the person you're with knows the way. That person is trusted and trustworthy. Did you ever play the game, kids? Maybe you played this game in, in school. It was sort of a, a confidence-building activity, a, a communication skill where, where one classmate is blindfolded and they're given instructions on completing a, a task. Now, the danger in such an activity is you actually have to know something about the person giving you instructions to know whether or not you should follow them. Because if you've got the blindfold on in class and the kid who's giving you trouble is the kid who's giving you trouble all year long or maybe all decade long, then you might think, this kid might be trying to cause me to, to knock over a desk or to spill something on myself or to, or to smush my nose up against the blackboard. I'm not really sure I can trust this voice. But if the person giving you instructions is your best friend, then yes, you might doubt her ability to give you clear instructions to complete this task, but you don't doubt her goodness. You would actually trust what she's saying to you because the person who's giving you the instructions really matters. The character of the one who calls you to go matters. And so Abraham, he's told by God, go to the land I will show you. So going without clear directions only makes sense if the one leading you is trustworthy. But the command also comes with a promise. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me, and, and notice how these verses really are, are, as one commentator says, these are the sneak preview to the rest of the Bible. In these verses, you have the unfolding of, this is what everything that comes after this will be about. God will make a promise to Abraham. He will choose a man. He will pour out his grace on a people. And then through that promise, through that grace, God's blessing will come to all of the nations. And so these verses are pivotal, not only for understanding Abram's story, not only for understanding the story of Genesis, not only for understanding the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, it's important for understanding Christianity as a whole. These are pivotal, core, foundational verses. So listen to the promises in verses 2 and 3. God says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God is making huge promises to this man, gracious promises, that he will be a great nation. And what's it take to have enough descendants to make a great nation? What's the very first thing you would need? 
to be the father of many nations, you would need to be a father. You need the first child. And I haven't reminded you of this yet, but if you look back at chapter 11, we're told twice, repeatedly, that that Sarah was barren. She had no children. This is a couple without children. An older couple, a 75-year-old father. And God is making the promise, I will make you into a great nation. That is a big promise to make to a man without children. God also says, I will make your name great. Your name will be one that is remembered thousands of years from now. The Messiah will be called the son of Abraham. The followers of Christ will be called children of Abraham. But this this promise here that he will have a great name, it it, it actually contrasts with chapter 11 again, where if you looked back there at at chapter 11, verse 4, the people living after the time of flood, decide that they want to build a tower to reach to the heavens so that they can make themselves great. They can make a great name for themselves. And yes, actually, you remember at least the name of the tower they were trying to build, the Tower of Babel, their failure to exalt themselves. And so the promise comes, Abram, you will be great not because of what you have done, not because of who you are, but because of who I am. I, God says, I will make your name great. And then this blessing that is given to Abram is a blessing that is not meant only for him. It's a blessing that then is is to flow through him to everyone. Look at what God says in verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. That is God's promise that he will be with Abram. He will protect him. He will be alongside him. And then, verse 3 again, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This blessing that comes to Abraham is a blessing then that will flow from Abram to every nation, every nation on earth, not merely the great nation who will bear as physical descendants of Abram his name, but every nation, every people group on earth will be blessed through the promises God is making here. And the New Testament will make the argument clearly that everyone who puts their trust in God is made a spiritual child of Abraham, which means these promises are promises to Abram, to one man, but they're also to the nation that will come from him, and then to the church that is created here, of which you and I are a part, which means these are promises that God has given to us, that God will bless all people on earth through the work of the spiritual children of Abraham. That means God's blessing will go to the peoples of the earth through us. I mean, it's a clear command then. It, it doesn't take a, a wild leap of the imagination. It's a, it's a, it immediately follows then that you and I have a responsibility to make the, the good news of what God has done known to people. That you and I, we, we received a blessing from God, and that wasn't for us to hoard and keep for ourselves and to say, look at all the great things God has done for me. No, it was, look at what God has done for us. To share that blessing. That means simple things like talking to your friend or neighbor or coworker about the good news of the gospel. It might mean even bigger things. We had a missionary stand in our pulpit last week and challenge us to partner with our denomination in sending 1% of our church members into global missions in the next two years. 
And if you were to flip our, our bulletin over, you would see the names of some of the, or look in the back, back of our bulletin, you'd see the names of some of our missionaries, and you would know you held some of those, those, those now adults in your arms when they were children here. We're a church that has a history of doing that, but, but the, the challenge our denomination is offering to us is, is to send, to pray for, to give so that 1% more of members of our church, of each church, would go into to global gospel missions. Now, this is a time at which you probably think, I'd rather be in the 99%. I don't want to be one of the one percenters here. Because what if God is calling me to go? See, you're, you're, these are the kinds of commands, the kinds of urgent needs for which we think, oh, well, God will use someone else. But what if God is calling you now? Now, you might be a child and think, well, I probably can't go in the next two years to fulfill this 1%. But still, consider going. So it's really on you and I as adults to consider how our vocations, maybe even our retirements, could be used for the sake of global missions so that you and I as a church would be a blessing to the nations. That's what God is, that's the promise God is making. That's why this is the, the, the story of the Bible encapsulated here. The whole story will unfold from this. God has chosen one man to bless him and through this man and his descendants to bless all nations on the earth. The Lord gave a command. He made promises, and then look at verse 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. God, sa God says, go, so Abraham goes. That's what it means to respond to God by faith. If God says, obey, you obey. If God says, go, you will go. If God says, listen, you will listen. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. And that's why the name of Abraham is remembered today. He is one who is exalted because of the faith he showed in God. He heard the command of God and he listened and obeyed. All right, we're going to come back to Genesis 12, but turn with me all the way toward the back of your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. This is the great passage describing what it is to respond to God by faith, sort of a, a hall of fame of, of those who have walked, a hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11. And the author of Hebrews shows that, that faith is a confidence that what God has promised is guaranteed to come true. And he, he offers then examples of, of the faith of Abel, the faith of Enoch, the faith of Noah, and of all of the characters, most of them get a mere verse reference. Moses gets several verses, but Abram gets a significant portion of this chapter because his response of obedience by going when God commanded him is held out as an example for us. This is what faith looks like. Listen as I read Hebrews 11, starting at verse 8. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham... When called to go to a place he would later receive as, it is, as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You see, Abraham is being held up here, as one commentator says, as the paragon of faith and obedience. God says, go, and by faith, Abraham obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. 
That's what faith looks like. Going when God calls, when the command is clear, obeying. I mean, where is it in your life that you struggle to obey? I mean, maybe it's in those, it's, there's a clear and obvious command, you know it's wrong, well, sort of-ish. I mean, technically, it's wrong, but it's kind of fun. So, can I just keep this? I'll get rid of, I'll say no to all those other things. I'll obey here, but I'll keep this for myself. Maybe it is in this, this call that we've seen the, to go in missions, to, to share the gospel. Maybe it's the fear that keeps you from from talking about the blessings that have been given to you. Where is it that you struggle to obey? The example given to us by faith, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as an inheritance, Abraham obeyed and went even though he didn't know where he was going. Maybe that's what you feel like. You feel like I'm just wandering through what's supposed to be next. What kind of decisions should I make? So you can take the next step because you know the one who is with you. There are clear commands that give you wisdom and how to move forward, to respond by faith. See, part of the problem is sometimes you and I, I think, have a, have a distorted picture of what faith is meant to be. Maybe you've heard the phrase that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You've had a coach or, or a teacher try and inspire you with this, like, just give it a try. Go for it. And it's, it's meant to, I think, rightly in some of those instances, if you've got somebody on your team who, who doesn't, doesn't want to put up a shot, to take the shot. I'm guaranteeing you won't score if you don't shoot. Throw it, throw it at the hoop. Just put it on net. Maybe it'll go in. Let's see what, what happens. And it's meant to maybe rightly inspire some confidence when we're feeling weak. But we, that's kind of where we often stop when we think about faith. Like, well, I'll give it a shot. I mean, I don't really think it's going to happen, but I'll, I'll heave it up. I'll kind of cross my fingers and hope that maybe something works out all right here. And that, that's what we think faith is, just sort of this, this blind guess that maybe this will go right. But you know what? You, you, know, you can't score if you don't shoot. But see, that's not what faith is. Faith is a confidence that even though Abraham didn't know where he was going, Not in the land of Canaan. He knew where he was going ultimately because he knew the one who was with him. He knew, yes, I'm going to to live in a tent in this land. I'll be a sojourner there, but I have confidence that the God who has made the promises to me is the one who will keep his promises. I have a certainty in the future. See, faith is a certain confidence that what God says is true. That's what faith is. It's not crossing your fingers. See, in faith, Faith isn't just about the fact that Abraham really, really believed. Like, he really strongly believed this. Faith actually also has to deal with the object of your faith, the thing that you're holding on to. Because you know examples in your life of people that really, really believe something that's really, really stupid. I mean, you'll invite some of them over for Thanksgiving, maybe. Friends and family that you think, Boy, they really do believe some stupid stuff. And it seems obvious to you, but they really believe it because the measure of how strongly you believe something doesn't measure its truthfulness. I mean, and, I, and I've, I've already said that Abraham is the, the father, the physical heir to three of the world's great religions. But don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying all of those religions are equally true. And it's important in this weekend in which we, we mourn with, with friends and neighbors in Pittsburgh that we rightly condemn any kind of violence against anyone of any religion. But that doesn't mean that we say all religions are equally true. 
but you might say, but they really believe it. They've given their lives to this, so, so of, of course it must be true. No. The object into which you've placed your hope and trust, the truthfulness of it depends not on how strongly you believe it, but on whether or not it's actually true. The Bible is making the claim that Abraham is the one who responds by faith. Jesus said before Abraham was born, I am, but he says that Abraham was looking forward to the day of Jesus, putting his trust in Jesus. And so I am actually making the claim that only Christianity, true biblical Christianity, is the only truth that there is for us. And so as we return to to Genesis 12, We're reminded that Abraham is the example of faith for us. The New Testament calls him the man of faith. He is the one through whom God will bless all of the nations. But but Genesis 12 is, is more than the story of Abram. It is the story of God's grace. God is the one who chose Abram. God is the one who led Abram. God is the one who blessed Abram. Unless we should exalt Abram too highly, things turn south really quickly. I mean, both technically he went south from the Negev down to Egypt, but but morally things go south very quickly. So if our first point was Abraham's faith, then our second point is Abraham's failure. Because here is the man who, when he hears God, goes and raises an altar and offers sacrifice, devotes himself to the Lord, clearly obeys, but as soon as trouble sets in, he acts like a fool and he fails. Verse 10 tells us there's a famine in the land, and so Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while. Now Moses, the author of the book of Genesis, is telling us and, and, and making us sympathize, I think, rightly with Abram, that the famine was severe. But notice, what is Abram doing? He's leaving the land of the promise, the land that was given to him and his descendants, even if only temporarily, he's setting aside the promise in order to go get a meal. But that's not the worst thing that he does. He looks at his wife and remembers how beautiful she is and then thinks, oh, this could be trouble. If they, if the leaders in Egypt, if Pharaoh sees her, well, then Pharaoh may decide, you know, the easiest way to take what I want would be to get rid of him. If I get rid of him, then I can have his wife, but also I might as well then just keep all of his cattle and all of his servants. I can take everything I want. And so Abraham comes up with a plan to protect himself, with or without Sarah's consent. It's, it's clearly not given here. By allowing his wife to go into Pharaoh's palace. He says, they will kill me if they know you're my wife. So let's leave that detail out. Abram is compromising himself, compromising his wife, compromising his marriage in order to protect himself. He is complicit in the abuse that Sarah will receive. One commentator says he risks his wife's purity for his own advantage. And this is horrific. Especially for those of you that sit here today 
in brokenness because you have had people harm you, people that claimed to have loved you, people that stood have stood up to protect you and yet have let you be abused or themselves have abused you. And, it, and it's important for us to notice that what the Bible describes about Abraham is not what the Bible prescribes for us. There's a difference between the description of what took place and a prescription for how we should then live. And that's pretty clear that the, 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 the narrator makes clear, Moses makes clear, God makes clear, even Pharaoh, the, the, the one who, who worships the, the gods of Egypt, who claims to be a god himself, who has no desire to follow the truth of, of morality, even Pharaoh himself recognizes the sinfulness of what Abram has done. But notice, notice here that while Pharaoh is unaware of the sin into which he is stumbling, Sarah being taken into his palace as a wife, God does not ignore it. Look at verse 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So you may be sitting here today and no one knows what has been done to you. You have not shared it with anyone. Or maybe you have and, and worse, no one believed you. Or, or worse, the, 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 the man got away and he was not held to account. See, this passage is reminding us the Lord himself sees. And in this instance, the judgment comes immediately. For you, it may wait until that great judgment day, but God will not ignore the suffering you have, you have suffered at the hands of those who have harmed you. The Lord inflicted judgment. See, God sees the sin of Abram and responds. So that even Pharaoh steps up and says, what did you do to me? Why wouldn't you have told me this? Why would you trap me in this way, Abram? And fed up, just kicks him out. We have no indication the famine is over. See, Abram is willing by going to Egypt to risk the promise that the land would be his. But worse, if you are, the promise is given to you that you will have a great nation, that you have many descendants, then to give your wife away is not only abuse of your wife, it's a failure to trust the promises of God. Abram is a failure. And I think the book of Genesis tells us that right up front. So that the hero of the story already is acting unheroically. And he's the villain here. I think we're told this right up front in the story of Abram so that you and I won't exalt him too highly. Yes, his name will be remembered. His name will be made great because of what God has done. But the name will be changed. He will be the father of many nations. That's what Abraham means because it will point us to the promises of God. The story of Abraham is a picture of faith. Yes, he responds and obeys, but it's more than that. It is a picture of God's faithfulness. We can think of the way in the, the New Testament that the Apostle Paul in writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.13 will remind us as believers that even even if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. Even if we fail, Jesus will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. See, the story of Genesis 12 is a story of grace. 
Yes, the response required is faith, but even when we fail, God proves his faithfulness to us. See, not only are you and I those who have been harmed by others, but you and I, like Abram, are those who have foolishly disobeyed. We have failed. Where is it that you have failed? Where is it that you look at the the brokenness of life? Where is it in your life that you see your need for forgiveness? Because that's what grace does. God's blessing exposes our foolishness, exposes our helplessness. That's the starting point of faith, is to recognize that, that of course I will obey, of course I will follow. Look at God's goodness and mercy to me. Who should I trust here? Should I trust my own feelings, which, which dissipate, as the choir reminded us, as they change as fast as the weather changes? Or should I trust the God of the universe whose word is secure? And so that we will see clearly that the story of Abraham is a story of grace. We're reminded as we look back at Genesis 12, at the promise God gives, the promises that Abraham was willing to set aside in verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. Of course, we understand that's what it means that in verses 2 and 3, that God will make a great nation, that there will be many descendants who will flow from him, that the nations of the earth will be blessed through them. But, but the Apostle Paul in the New Testament will actually point out this, this important detail here in Genesis 12, verse 7, that when God makes the promise that to the offspring of Abraham, to the seed of Abraham, to the descendant of Abraham, that he's speaking in the singular. He's speaking about not merely the nation that will come, not the church that will come, but the one man who will come. This is what we read in in Galatians 3, verse 16. This New Testament argument explaining to us what we've read in Genesis 12, Galatians 3, 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person. And so that we're not left in any doubt about the identity of that person, Paul says, to that one person who is Christ. See, the story of Abram is the story of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the the physical descendant of Abraham, the one through whom all of the promises will be kept. And see, that's why you and I are actually in much better position than Abram ever was in to respond by faith. He had the word of God spoken to him. You and I have the person of Jesus Christ who has come and given himself for us. Jesus died on the cross, was raised from the dead. You and I have the authority of God's word verified, made true in the work of Jesus Christ. And so will you today put your trust in him? Will you set aside the doubts, even as one who claims to follow Christ, the fears that have kept you back from from full obedience, the selfishness which has left you entangled in sin? Will you set it aside and by faith respond to the hope of the gospel? See, the story of Genesis 12 is a story of grace. Grace in the call given to Abram. God choosing one man, pouring out his blessing on him and his family and his descendants and through him. It's a story of grace because God will make a blessing to all the nations. It is a story of grace because even in the failures of Abram, God keeps his promises. 
the story of the gospel. This grace can be yours if you respond by faith. If you put your trust in Jesus, the one who is given to us. You have seen the promises of Genesis 12 fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Come and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we hesitate to commit ourselves to you for the fear of what it might cost us. And so, Lord, let us, in obedience, respond by faith to your work in our lives. Lord, for those that that wrestle with this story of grace, that wonder if it could really be true, Lord, now give them the faith to believe. Give them the gift of eternal life, the confidence that you are the God who is true. You are the God who speaks to us. Lord, let us live lives of obedience, following after you by faith, trusting in Jesus Christ, giving ourselves to him, and receiving from him the blessings of heaven, the inheritance that is his, the confidence that we have the gift of eternal life, that your grace has been given to us. We come praying in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.